Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 42 of the Speaking Club podcast. How many productivity specialists does it take to change a light bulb? None. That task's been delegated. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, hey! smashing to have you join me in the first show in this productivity-themed month. Well, today I'm going to be joined by someone who not only managed to research and write a book in just three months, but also managed at the same time to spend more time doing the things he loves. Is he a superhero? I don't know. We'll find out. His name's Dr. Simon Raybould, and he's going to share how he managed it and what we need to do to get the same results. Let's get on with the show. From medical researcher to fire eater and now speaker on presentations and productivity as well as a coach, welcome to the show, Dr. Simon Raybould. Hello. Absolutely looking forward to this. (laughs) So am I. So am I. Now, you you did start out as a scientist looking at leukemia. And how did you get from that to what you're doing today? Okay. I was not a clinician. I wasn't looking at the, the dead and dying children, if you like. I was looking actually at the surviving children these days. I was looking at the environmental causes of leukemia. Okay. Um, trying to find what it was in the environment that made that kids in one part of the city got more leukemia than kids in another part of the city. And it became quite easy to take the techniques that I devised for doing that and apply them to other things. So I spent 24 years in research um, applying those techniques to things like life chances, employment chances, access to shops, chances of dying early, chances of getting divorced, all of that kind of jazz. And then I discovered that I was being asked the same questions over and over again by politicians. And I realized that what we needed was not so much new science as the ability to explain science because people just didn't know, you know, science was a long way ahead. Social science is a long way ahead of, of the application of social science. So I started to research about how you communicate that social science to people so that they understand it and can start applying it for themselves. I said, the, the obvious example is, you know, we can spend as much money as you like on looking for causes of cancer, but actually until people stop freaking smoking, yeah. there's not much point in looking for extra causes of cancer and so on because we know that cancer is caused by smoking you know, you know, or yeah that's, that's a, a non-scientist simplification of it but you get the you get the yes. idea that your chances of getting cancer are significantly higher if you smoke yeah absolutely bottom line but people still do yes it mystifies yeah. me too i don't know i can't understand it but anyway so you felt that it wasn't you know it's about getting the science um facts out there in a way that people could uh, connect with and, and resonated with them so that they would take action and understand the implications. Mm-hmm. So did you, so did you begin applying these in your job as a, as a scientist and researcher? I did, but only for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that there was a sensible living to be made training and teaching scientists to do it uh, rather than doing it myself. Excellent. So, so is that, is that your main sort of client or has it morphed over the years into sort of more general, 
different professions? Yes, to both of those questions. Those are my, <laughs> um, yes, those are my, about a third to a half of my clients are scientists or researchers of some kind. The other two thirds are what I would call high-end professionals. So accountants and lawyers and engineers and so on. People who need to be able to explain what they do to people who are not in the same office as them. Excellent. So late layman's terms of things which are quite technical and complicated. Not just even layman's terms. You're right about that, of course, but not just that, because these people tend to get so specialised that sometimes they find it difficult to talk to people who are doing the same thing, oh. but doing it in a different office. Right. So sometimes you find that architects, you know, they will use one set of terms to describe something. The same people doing the same thing in a different country will use a different set. Of, you know, you get the idea. I see. I see. So, and and where does the acting and the fire eating come into the equation <laughs> I, I was quite intrigued to see that on your profile well I spent some time working as a professional actor and I used to run a theatre company and so on but the fire eating came about because I was doing some drugs education in schools with teenagers and their response was f off so we've had more drugs than you've got dinners so I was looking for something to start the workshop with that made them sit down shut up and take notice fire eating sounds like a, a winner on that occasion but then it developed into something really quite powerful because you could use the fire eating as an analogy for taking drugs you know both taking drugs and fire eating involve putting something in, inside your body both look cool yada 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 but then you have conversations with the kids about what are the differences and the difference are, for example, I'm doing it with a fully, fully qualified triage nurse standing beside me in case anything goes wrong. They don't get that. Um, I know exactly how hot the fire is always going to be because I always buy the same paraffin, yada, yada, yada. They don't know what their drugs are. You get the idea. Yes. Um, and so it, it started to be a really interesting educational tool that developed into a hobby. And I think I've been married for 33 years now and my wife has only absolutely screamed at me in anger twice once was when she caught my caught me teaching my nine-year-old daughter fire eating which is uh, apparently that is and I quote irresponsible parenting <laughs> well I have some sympathy with that <laughs> it's fine it's fine <laughs> there you go well if she if she does that instead of taking drugs then probably that's the best course of uh, oh, course she's of now, yeah she's, she's now a doctor she's she's now um, um. A, a, um you know, you know that kind of stuff you see on the television about emergency room stuff where the doctor shouts, 10 cc's of this, stand clear. You know, that's the kind of doctor she is. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. There you go. So that was probably because of the fire eating. You, you know, I'm not going to... Some, some link there, some causal link <laughs> anyway. I'm going to claim that's true without any evidence whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just going to claim that I did that, yeah. Cool. Okay. Now... The theme of this show or the theme of this month is is really, you know, obviously this is a speaking club, so we, we relate everything back to speaking and using speaking to grow business and so on. But I really wanted to focus in on productivity this month because, you know, that's a massive part of what we, you know, we don't achieve the results we want unless we focus in and we, we do the things we need to do to get those results. Now, um, I read that the idea for your productivity system came as a result of you managing to write your book to a very tight deadline without sacrificing your work-life balance, which is really the holy grail for all of us, I think, in some <laughs> way. Um, can you, can you tell, is that right? Is yeah, that that's true. That's true. That's true. Um, it's true in, in a sense. I mean, the, what happened with the deadline was that Hodder and Stoughton approached me and said, would you write Presentation Genius? Um, which actually is pretty flattering for, you know, I can, um, and I said, no, there's no money. That's, that's, that's stupid. I can earn more in a day than, you're talking about for months and months and months of work so, so go away 
And I kept saying that until somebody in one of my mastermind groups said, stop thinking of it as them paying you to write a book and think of it as them paying the expenses for you to do the CPD that you should always have been doing anyway. Yeah. Okay, fine. So I went back to Hodder and said, yes, I'll do this. And they said, that's fantastic, but the publication deadline hasn't changed. <laughs> um, so instead of having nine months to write, to research and write a book, I had less than three months to research, write, edit, proof, and all that kind of jazz. Um, so it became, quite a, it became quite a challenge. The thing that's not quite true about what you said is the motivation came from that. Yes. The actual idea came from going back to libraries and researching. I, I, I went back and looked at what it was that people did to be more productive, uh, or at least what most people did to be more productive. So it's, it's not an idea that's just popped out of, out of my head. It's a, it's a research-orientated idea. Yes, and I think that there are clients of yours that you teach presentation skills to that know what they should be doing, but you know ob- object about the time commitment to doing it. And is that that had a factor too? I think. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, people would say, "Yes, your system works. We understand how to make better presentations. We can shift our presentations from two percent effective to thirty odd percent effective, which is what my system does." And then they went, "But we're not going to do it." And I'm kind of going, <laughs> "You've just wasted you know a day of my time." Um, and they said that's because. You know, we normally have 30 seconds to design our presentations. We're not going to put two hours into designing our presentations. Um, so I, I kind of made a, comp- a, a, a compact with them and said, if I can find a way of buying you two hours, would you promise to give it to designing your presentation? And of course they said yes. So I researched ways of getting an extra two hours a week productivity-wise out of them. And Bob's your proverbial uncle from then. Well, let's let's go back to... that's. I mean, let's go back to the the time when you were writing the book, what sort of things were you doing? What sort of productivity hacks did you implement during that period that enabled you to, to write the book and not have an impact on your work? Life okay, life? but before I knew what I was doing, the, the obvious one is, is something called a sigmoid productivity curve. And it's, oh, if this wasn't a podcast, it would be so much easier because I want to draw things in the air. What's that? A sigmoid curve, it's a bit like it's a, gra- it's an, a graph that has an S shape. Right. So it goes along a bit and then it goes up and it gets steeper and steeper and steeper and steeper. And then gradually it starts to flatten out at the top. Right. Okay. So if you imagine that what's going along the bottom is, is time and what's going up the side is how productive you are. Right. Okay. So you start off spending time and not getting any output. And then you spend, as, as you spend more and more time, you become more and more productive but after a while, you become tired and you become less and less productive again, kind of blindingly obvious as soon as I say it. The problem for most people is that they work in fixed blocks of time, an hour, two hours, three hours. It turns out that different people can concentrate on different tasks for different lengths of time and still be productive. Oh. Okay, so they flatten off. Their productivity curve flattens off at, at different times. Right. So, for example, if I'm researching... I can be productive for three, three and a half hours at a time. If I'm proofreading, because I find it so much more difficult to proofread, I can only be productive for 20 minutes at a time, and then I lose the will to live and I start making mistakes. The obvious thing to do at that point is to take all the time that I would otherwise normally have spent proofreading. If I block things in the traditional one-hour slots, if yes. you see what I mean, um, so that extra 40 minutes when I'm proofreading but I'm unproductive, it makes sense to just take that 40 minutes and do something else with it. Yes. 
Um, as soon as I say that, it is blindingly obvious, but what people habitually do is work in fixed-term blocks. Yes. And what I'm advocating, or what I did on this occasion, is that you work in flexible-term blocks once you know how long it is that you can concentrate on something. Interesting. So if I'm designing a slide, I can work in designing slides, I can do that for 90 minutes. If I'm researching, I could do that for three, three and a half hours. If I, excuse me, if I'm proofreading, I can do that for 20 minutes. You know, you get the idea. So yeah. my diary is split into different sized chunks, depending upon what it is that I am doing. And my team's diaries are likewise split into different sized chunks, depending upon what they are doing. And importantly, their sized chunks are different to my size chunks. That's because we all have different likes and dislikes about and strengths and weaknesses in terms of uh-huh. what we can do. Is that, yeah. has that how it Absolutely. Works? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a team member called Claire who she can proofread for 45 minutes at a time. I mean, Claire is a kind of girl. She can smell a misplaced comma in the dark <laughs> before you turn on the computer. All right, you, you, yeah. you've got this girl in your head, um, and I love her dearly, and she's brilliant. But and she can re, she can proofread for forty-five minutes. So when she sets aside time in her diary to proofread, it's in there for a forty-five minute block. When I put it in my diary to read, it's only there for a twenty-minute block because that's when I start getting inefficient and making mistakes. And as soon as I explain that to people, it is it's kind of common sense. Yes. It's just that common sense is not common practice. Well, I guess it's, it's always the way, isn't it? When you, you discover these things and they are blindingly simple, yet really elusive to most of us because, you know, for one reason or the other. So how do you, is there a way that people can, you know, analyze themselves and what they, you know, to find these optimum times for what they're right. doing? The, the first step is to make your best guess. Right. <laughs> and hand on your heart, you know, you know that yes. you can concentrate on some things longer than others. Um, and then the dirty trick is make sure you're on your own. Now you'll see why in a second. And then set your phone to about 10 minutes less than your best guess. Uh-huh. So that it pings 10 minutes less than your best guess. At that point, you ask yourself the question, am I still massively productive at this thing? Or have I started to slow down a little bit? Yeah. If you are still massively productive, you know that your best guess was about, you know, was about right. Yes. And you set your phone to go off again in 20 minutes and, and see how you feel in 20 minutes' time. If you're still productive in 20 minutes' time, you know that your best guess was an underestimate. If you're not productive at the, at the second 20 minutes, you know your best guess was right to within 10 minutes. And that's your, that's your yeah. working time, if you see what I mean. Wow, that's really... That's it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's brilliantly obvious, as, you know, as soon as you describe it. The reason I say that you should do it on your own is because it's really going to hack off everybody else in your office if your phone is going ping every, yeah. <laughs> every 10 minutes. And then once you know what that is, you block your diary in, in chunks according to those, to those sizes, if you see what I mean. And, those, and the activities that relate to them. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. That's fascinating. And, and as you say, blindingly simple. Yeah. So to get... Um, the, the, to get your model for air, what research did you do? And we touched on that, but you looked at some papers. What, what else did you do or what was in those papers and why did you choose those ones? <laughs> why did I choose those papers? Because I, I'm a trained research scientist. I spent 24 years as a research scientist. So I just went to the university libraries where I still had access and I sat down and read just about every paper that's been written in the last 10 years that indicates what makes people more productive and what makes people less productive. 
So it's not that I chose which papers to read. I read all of the damned papers. <laughs> um, and just before anybody says, is that as boring as it sounds? The answer is yes. It really is as boring as it sounds. I, you know, I begin to lose the will to live eventually. And after, if you keep reading after that, you begin to lose the will for the authors to live. Never mind, never mind me. Um, so I, I just read lots and lots and lots. I can't swear that I've read everything, but I'd like to think that I've read just about everything. And so was there, you know, of, of all of that reading, were there some, again, blindingly, obviously, takeaways yep. that, you know, made it very simple to come up with your model? Or did, you know, was there another level of analysis that you needed to do to get? There's, to uh, there's a blindingly simple thing comes, comes out of it. Well, there's lots of blinding things simple comes out of it. But the one that I've encapsulated in the AIR model is that we spend too much time of our time working. So I'm not talking here about simple low-level stuff. I'm talking here about difficult, hard brain work, the kind of stuff that, that you and I do, where we sit down and we think very, very hard. Um, most people will have a six, seven, eight hour, nine day. It turns out you can only be genuinely productive for about six hours a day. Wow. Now, there's, there's huge variation around that, but that's the average, about six hours a day, which means that the other two hours a day that you spend in your office is inefficient. So here's a suggestion. Instead of sitting in your office inefficiently for two hours a day, why don't you do something different with those two hours? Kind of obvious, isn't it? Yeah. And the other things that it turns out that you should probably do are what we call inform and restore. So AIR is an acronym for ACT is do your job. Yeah. Inform and restore are the other two bits. Inform is spend some time figuring out how to be better at your job. And restore is getting your head back in the game in order to do your job. So the, the informed stuff, let me give you a really simple example. Have you ever had um, an update on your computer? Let's say you've installed the new version of Word and it updates on your computer and it goes, see what's new in the new version of Word. Uh, now, if you're like 99.999999999% of people, they just go, bugger off, I'm busy. And they, yeah. they, you know, they click the ignore button. But what happens if, if you did spend 10 minutes finding out what's new in Word, and it turns out that what's new in Word was something that could save you five minutes a day, every day, for the rest of your life. Yes. Um, yeah. you know, so you invest 10 minutes, but you get your 10 minutes back by the end of the week. Um, a, a personal example, a couple of months ago, I was talking to, some, to a bunch of VAs, virtual assistants, and I asked them, how do you put titles and subtitles and headings and subheadings and things in your documents? And to a, a woman and a man, they said, I click and drag to highlight the text that I want. And then I change the font and I make it bigger and I make it bold. And I, some of them said I changed the color, blah, blah, blah. And it takes about 30 seconds to do that. Now, for the last 10 years, Word has had the ability to triple click styles title. So nice. triple click selects the entire paragraph that you want to turn into a title. Then you go to styles, then you do title. Well, that takes about five seconds. Right. It takes about 10 minutes to learn how to do it. But once you've done it, it saves you nearly half a minute. Every single time you create a title or a subtitle or a heading or a sub... Is that making, making yes. sense? Yes. So the idea is for in, in these two hours a day when you're not being productive, why not schedule into your diary 45 minutes or however long you can concentrate for to research how to be more productive. 
And that's in the informed part. Yeah, that's the, that's the informed part. Yeah. So it could be just watching a YouTube video or it could be learning how to use some new software or it could be reading a book about speed reading or, you know, whatever. Um, and the restore part is even, even more fun. Oh, here's an example. Okay. So I sat down the other day and I said to people on a training course, how many of you work through lunchtime? And of course they all said I work through lunchtime. If I could give you something that made you so much more productive in the afternoon that you could afford to take a half hour lunch break, would you take it? And of course they all said yes. And I, I kind of leant forward and went, I'm only going to let you into this productivity secret if you promise me you'll spend the extra half an hour you get taking a lunch break. Okay, I promise. Here's a secret. Take a half hour lunch break. <laughs> You know, because if you take a half hour lunch break, that makes you so much more productive in the afternoon that you more than make up for the time that you, you know. so that the, the restore part of this system is just finding out what it is that gets your head back in the game. Now, for some people, that is lunch. For some people, it is chatting with mates over a coffee. For some people, it is going to the gym. For others, it's going for a walk. For some people, it's passive. So for some people, it's active. But the point is, that you should find out what it is and you should not feel guilty for doing it. Yeah. That's the magic source in this ingredient. This inform and restore stuff is not stuff that's taken away from your productivity time for your boss. It is stuff that is making you more productive for your boss and at the same time keeping you sane. Do you know, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so that last part is really about energy management, isn't it? I guess, really. So, uh, so we've covered off those two. Just go back a little bit. Tell me what the A stands for and uh, what, that, what that is. A is ACT. Um, it took me forever to come up with the acronym, by the way. ACT. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. It's it good it, one. it took me as long to come up with the acronym as it did to do the research, I think. Um, <laughs> ACT is simple. ACT is just, it is, it is what you are paid to do. Okay. Okay, so act is doing what you do, inform is being better, is learning how to be better at what you do, and restore is getting your head back in the game to do what you do. So in my case, because I'm a presentations trainer and professional speaker, my act is training people in making presentations and speaking. My inform is learning how to do that better. Yeah. And my restore is, well, in my case, going to the gym or listening to ACDC or whatever, so that I've recharged my batteries. So... I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there on productivity. I, I've not, heard, I've not, you know, I quite, I, I like what I've not heard it put together in that way. But what, you know, when you were looking at this, did you consider other stuff out there, or did you just focus on the research, and come up with this model, and ignore that stuff? Well, first off, I started on the research for what works. Yeah. Because my logic being that if I read other people's ideas, I would be biased about what works. So I started Tampa Rosa. I started out clean just looking at the research of what works subsequently i've compared the air system to to other systems mm -hmm. quite a lot of them work the problem with them is that they're all about being productive they all work in the act frame they're all about getting more done when you're working yeah but that's different from being able to walk away from when you should not be working, if you see what I mean. So yeah. most productivity systems would fit with it. I, I don't regard air, I don't describe air as a productivity system. I describe it as a productivity framework within which you can fit any of the systems that appeal to you. Oh, I see. Because of those, so effectively, it, it, it's more a model for living as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and, and something you said earlier on about maintaining a work-life balance, for me, that's, that's hugely important because there's no point in working, working, working if 
you know, you've got to be working for something. And, and the, but I want to pick up on the use of the word life balance. And I'm kind of big on the, the idea of work-life harmony because right. balance sounds like it's something in the moment and you're trying to figure out which way to do it. Harmony for me has implications of a much longer term a much longer term thing, if that makes if that makes sense to people. But I have to stress that that last thirty seconds I've just rabbited on about that's a personal thing. That's not anything I've researched. That's just a personal opinion. Well, it's it's an interesting thing. So I think you know I've coming coming to the conclusion from what I've read that work life balance is an illusion because life is all about choices. And things will not be perfectly balanced because you'll, you know, you'll be focusing on different things at different times. So, you know, when you were writing your book, presumably getting the book done was, was, there was more weight on that side than there was, you know, other things had to sort of, you know, you, you sort of, as long as overall, you know, let's take, take a year. I think this is my understanding and I'll get you mm-hmm. on it. As long as overall, you are getting those, you know, the, the act, the inform and the restore. It may be at times that things are more heavily weighted than, than others and you haven't got a perfect balance and that's a, um, a myth that people can't actually achieve. That is true up to a point. Mm-hmm. What is not true is that I sacrificed everything to write the book. Because of that, that productivity hack I gave you earlier on about only working on something until you're improductive, yeah. yeah. Um, I was able, I went on a family holiday. I helped one of my kids move house. I spent literally, I spent more time with my friends, with my wife, with my family. I maintained my hobbies. I took up a new hobby and I wrote the book and I still maintained a successful small business at the same time. Cool. So, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of smug about that. There's a thin line between cocky and smug, and I'm I head into smug if I'm not careful. <laughs> so, so, so that one simple hack gave you that freedom. Yep, Brilliant. that one simple hack I reckon gave me gave me. Now, other people's mileage will vary. Don't forget. Yeah, but it gave me about an equivalent of an hour's productivity a day. Okay, cool. And that's and seven I'm... hours. That's seven hours a week. That's a working day per week okay so so when i say so one of my personal issues is around focus because i i have a mind like a butterfly so this this month i'm quite interested in you know picking up some personal tips but i i had a question which is do you think that some people are predisposed to be more focused than others but i think you might have already addressed that in terms of you are more predisposed to be focused on some things for longer than other things yeah. and 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 so if i'm beating myself up because i'm not focused it's probably there's some things that i'm not focused on i don't know i'm, I'm, I'm rabbiting on a bit but is that do you see yeah, what I'm okay making? yeah i see what, I see I what you're getting at focused but yeah. you know, over to you <laughs> I, I, I see what you're getting at and is are some people more able to focus than others yes you only have to look at people who've got adhd to discover that some people can't focus so there is variation in it some people are psychologically more prone to see linkages between things right and that's a huge advantage for me personally because that's the way i work but it does make it harder for me to concentrate because i go oh that links to so-and-so and if i'm not careful i shoot off and, and think about so-and-so but this idea of only working on something for as long as you're interested in it and as long as you're productive on it, within reason, that means that that's not going to be a problem because at the point when I would start to get bored and normally wander off and do some, you know, I actually consciously decide to move on to do something else that I'm interested in 
and work on that wherever I'm excited about it and productive about it. So it's, it, it kind of helps with that. But to answer your question directly, yes, there's a huge variation in how easy some people find it to concentrate. Yeah, I think I'm like you. I always describe myself as an ideas person and strategy person and not a great completer finisher. It's but funny I, you, it was funny you should say that because you know this person I just mentioned who is the, the good proofreader in my team? Yes. Um, there was a, a, a live radio interview um, when somebody said, Simon, what do you bring to the team? And I said, well, as a, as a function, my role is to come up with lots and lots of really good ideas. I'm not so good at the detail, but I come up with lots and lots of really good ideas. And then they lent to Claire and said, what do you bring to the team? And said, well, and Claire said, actually, I need to correct Simon here. What he's really good at is coming up with lots and lots of ideas. My job is to tell him if they're good ones or not. (laughs) (laughs) Because she can focus on the detail. You know, I can generate the ideas and I can see the linkages between things, but she works in a different way. But I think the other thing to say here is that whilst we have, you know, strengths, we still have to do some of the stuff that we aren't good at, but it's just being aware of like those time chunks. Like you said, that we are going to be productive and not sitting there staring for 40 yeah. minutes and wasting that time just because that's not our strength. I think that's really, really great. And in terms of focus as well, I mean, this isn't, I guess, really what your model is about, but just, you know, the, the why of what we're doing has a big impact on how our focus as well. Is that true? Yes, because if you can remember why you're doing it, it is much easier to put up with all the... Actually, your, your podcast isn't X-rated, so I can't say what it's, what it's normally put up with. Um, to put up with all the tosh and rubbish. But there's some interesting tools you can use, some life hacks you can use around that to help you be motivated, which is, for example, to figure out exactly why you're doing what you're doing. And, and I don't mean just, oh, to make the world a better place. I mean a really specific reason for doing it. And write it down in one, two sentences and put it somewhere where you don't see it all the time. Because if you see it all the time, it becomes background noise and you don't notice it anymore. So maybe you write this down on a post-it note, for example, and stick it somewhere where you only see it if something is going wrong. So you see it and go, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's why I do it. So it, it, it reminds you occasionally rather than reminding you all the time. In that's fact, look... Quite- I've got one behind my computer. This is a podcast, so people can't see it, but I've got one behind my computer, um, my company ideals. Oh. The three things that my company will always, will always do. So on those occasions when I'm going, oh, stuff this, let's, you know, that'll do. Um, I've, I've got a, um, uh, an ideal for my company which talks about things being proven. I will, only talk, I will only give people what has been scientifically proven, not what is my opinion. Interesting. Interesting. You do strike me as a guy that has opinions. I reckon that's a tough one for you. Oh yeah, I have. I have opinions. (laughs) (laughs) I have opinions. Mainly, my opinion is that I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Um, (laughs) But and that comes from being a research scientist because it's very easy for me to go on stage as a presenter and go, "Here is what works," because it. I can be quite confident about that because those are not my opinions. Those are simple facts. You know, this works. That doesn't. If you're doing the one that doesn't work, you're a Muppet. Why don't you do the one that does work? Um, so I do have quite strong opinions about it, but my opinions are grounded in, in the research. I spent 24 years as a research scientist. Yes. By the time I stopped being a research scientist, I'd become centre manager at what was then the UK's largest social science research unit. So it's very easy for me to have opinions because those opinions are based upon what we know is empirically validated. 
I'm with you. So your opinions are based on, they're informed by fact, therefore they're valid. I would like to think that they are always and entirely informed by the correct <laughs> facts. My wife will point out that... <laughs> Excellent. Well, I've got a question for you now. Sure. Is productivity about having the right systems or the right mindset or a blend of both? The answer to that one is a really simple yes. It is. <laughs> yes, it, yes, it's. But the systems won't work if your mindset isn't right. Cool. Okay. But everybody I've spoken to for my, for, my, for my productivity podcast, and I've said to them, what systems do you have? Everybody has always answered, it's about the mindset. Because if you don't have the right attitude, the systems, the systems won't work. And the research is quite interesting. It almost doesn't, ma- almost doesn't matter what system you have. The fact is that you have to have a system and use it. Oh, that's yeah. the that's the killer thing if you see what i mean yeah. now there are some things about the system design that make them easier to use for people but the important thing is that you have to have a system and the attitude that you're going to use it brilliant no that makes absolute sense okay and i noticed that you you kind of it appeared to me that you had an aversion to people just getting up earlier <laughs> to be more productive <laughs> And um, obviously, there's a there's a bigger thing about the miracle morning and sort sure. of getting up at five a.m. And I guess people are, you know, some people work better in the morning than in the evening. But what what are your thoughts around that? I have. If you want to get up at four o'clock in the morning, I have. You know, that's down to you. That's but you know, I don't work well at that time in the morning. But that's that's up to you. What I mean about not getting up in the morning is it was a facetious comment I made once that my marketing guys picked up on, and they and I said, any fool can get more done in a day by getting up before you went to bed the previous night. Yeah. So which is all about working harder. Um, what the air thing is about is about working smarter so you can get as much done without slogging as many hours into it. But to address your, your real question, are we more productive at different times of day? Yes, different people are more productive at different times of day. And that's one of the big things you can fit into the air model. So for example, um, I don't work well first thing in the morning. So I get at my desk at eight o'clock in the morning and the best thing that I can do are the brain dead tasks, right? So I'm, I'm still half asleep and, and the brain dead tasks are things like go through my email system and go delete, 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 spam. What? No. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the ones where you just yes. process them? Yes. Um, but what I shouldn't do are reply to the tricky emails. You know the ones that require you to think and like, what I should do with those is put them to one side and wait till about 11 o'clock so my brain is engaged and then I can do the same thing, but I can do it in half the time. On the other hand, I have a team member who leaps out of bed at six o'clock in the morning, ready to go. I mean, they're shot by three o'clock in the afternoon. They've, they've run out of energy, but they're ready to go at six o'clock in the morning. What they should not do is not what I, is, is what I do. They should not sit there at six o'clock in the morning and go through the brain dead stuff of delete, delete, delete the emails. What they should do is the complicated brain thinky stuff, if that makes... I'll yes. explain that really yeah. badly. But no, sorry. I, I, I understand. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So what, what this person should do is at the end of the day, they should do the delete, 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 boring stuff. Yes. And then the first thing at eight o'clock the next morning, then they should do the sexy replying stuff that I would do at 11 o'clock on, the, on a day. 
So effectively, when is recognizing when your brain is firing on all cylinders, that's when you should do the tricky stuff. Mm-hmm. And when it's either warming up or slowing down, that's the sort of more sort of you know productive, uh, not productive, uh, brain dead stuff. If you yeah, like. yeah. I know. Really and again, it's it's blinding the obvious common sense. Yes. You know, yeah. but most people have a habit when they walk into the office, they sit down and they check the emails for forty five minutes. Well, if you're the kind of person who is really productive first thing in the morning, that's 45 minutes of your really productive creative time blown away on something you could do when you were half asleep. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So let me take your air model. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to implement your air model in my life, how would I go about it sort of? doing that oh i'm so tempted to say give me money and i will come and (laughs) (laughs) you don't have to give it all away just like (laughs) no it's 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 pretty easy it is just a question of you know those common sense things that we have applied we've we've talked about so far yes it is just a question of setting aside some time in your day and asking yourself sensible questions like what do i spend a lot of my time doing when would it be a good idea, a good time for me to do that? How long at a time should, should I do it? Should I do it for 45 minutes or 90 minutes and that kind of stuff? And what that does, just spend an hour doing that, what that does is give you a starting point, which gives you just enough spare time to be able to invest it in. So what I don't say to people is make a radical shift, start using the air product stuff because it takes time to you know, just stuff out of it. So just start with the simple hacks, if you like, until you've got yourself an extra hour every week or whatever. And in that week, in that hour, then put some inform into that hour, yes. which makes you more productive the next week, which makes you, and it, it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle really up to a point. And, and there's a compounding effect as well in this, isn't there? Yep, absolutely. So once, for example, if you take that, um, that idea, that example I gave you using word, You invest half an hour in learning how to use Word properly and it gives you 20 minutes a day every single day for the rest of your life. Well, you know, the the, the maths of that is not hard to work out. No, unless you're not good at maths like me. Anyway. (laughs) In which case, in which case, either get somebody else to do it, which is what Fiverr.com is for, or um, spend your first hour of your informed time on learning how to be better at maths. (laughs) Exactly. Cool. And how do you think air can help speakers particularly? Oh, I I use it all the time because it means I'm absolutely on top of my game. So, for example, the way it works for me, and this is just for me, other people will have different applications. But the way I, I've, I've worked my setup at the moment is that I will only deliver three days a week maximum because at the end of three days, you're too knackered and you're just going through the motions. Yeah. And then there's a half day admin and a half day marketing, by which I mean there's a half day avoiding admin and a half day avoiding marketing because <laughs> yes. I hate them both. But then there's a day a week set aside or the equivalent of a day a week. the equivalent of a day a week set aside just for becoming better at what I do for reading the new material for practicing new material for learning how to do something for learning a new trick in keynote for you know that kind of stuff which means that when I walk on stage in front of people I can be absolutely confident that the topic the conversational information I'm going to give them is absolutely at its at its best it's it's all front edge stuff I can be absolutely confident that my material isn't old isn't outdated isn't wrong because I've got the equivalent of a day a week checking it out. And do you, does your week, those five days that you're working effectively, are they always Monday to Friday or do you flex your week? 
No, I flex my week. Um, yeah, I flex my week because it's, honestly, some clients need me on a Saturday. And if, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm addressing a, well, there's a, a funny bit coming up. I'm addressing a conference of proofreaders coming up. So, oh, right. soon. Um, and they want me on the Sunday because that's when the conference is over a weekend. So they want me on a Sunday. And if I'm talking to them on a Sunday, I would shuffle around so that Monday is my day off and that, that kind of stuff. The reason I'm, I'm, the reason I'm laughing about that is I've just confessed to not being able to proofread to save my life. You know? um, in fact, there's the, the, a comment about uh, my proofreading is, is somebody said, you know, being my proofreader is akin to being Shane McGowan's dentist. It's, you know. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yes, we'll, so, we'll maybe put a YouTube link to Shane McGowan so people can get that, get yeah. that reference. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. And I mean, we may have covered some of the, the ones that you're going to speak about, but what are your top five tips for being more productive? Productive. Um, okay. So number one, I think is working at your optimum time Yeah. when you're at your best. And that could vary for different tasks. Don't forget. Okay. Um, and the second one would be perhaps working for as long as you are productive and then having the courage to stop Yes. Uh, don't, don't get yourself suckered into it. Um, number three, I think, is defining what's good enough. And when you know what is, when you've hit the level of what is good enough, have the moral courage to stop. As a, a, a phrase I use quite often in training is the difference between being good enough and being the best you can be. That space there, that's filled by your ego. Is that that's like Pareto with the 80 20? You yeah, get the absolutely. Best majority absolutely. done in 20% and spend the 80% tinkering. Yeah. So, for, I mean, I've got, I've got workbooks, that, and my definition of the workbook is does it enhance my client's learning? Yes. If it does, it's good enough. Yeah. And so I proofread it twice. I give it to an editor. I have it checked out by somebody who looks at the learning mechanisms behind it. I give it to somebody else who checks out that I'm not making any implicit bias things you know so my my case studies have the appropriate ethnic mix of names and gender mix and that kind of stuff but is it worth me doing that again and again and again to make sure it is a hundred percent right as opposed to 85 or 90 percent right the answer is probably not you know there, there comes a point when it is good enough to do what it needs to do and i should stop and do and do something else cool that was number three was, yeah number four um, is to remember that nobody died. <laughs> what do you here's mean a, by that? Here's, here's a question. Have you ever completely cleared your to-do list? Uh, me personally? Yeah, you personally. Very, very rarely. Very rarely. And on those days when you didn't clear your to-do list, did the world end? No, but I probably had a donut. <laughs> so, yeah, but my, I love the donuts. My, my reward for not having done my work is a donut. Excellent. It's, um, it's one of those, oh, I'm going to eat something sweet now. Yeah. Because really, yeah. my brain is dead and you eat something sweet. Absolutely. But if nobody died, if the yeah. world didn't end, that tells you that your to do list was not as important as you perhaps thought it was at the time. It's not the end of the world if you don't clear your to do list, unless you are a brain surgeon. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, Okay, so just just don't take things so so seriously. Relax. Yeah, like you know, we're only here once. Nobody died just because I didn't reply to an email that day. So long as I reply to it at eight thirty the following morning, yes. well, you know, within reason. There are some. You know, sometimes you have deadlines, but we tend to take everything. We, we tend to teach everything as critical in our society and urgent, and most things are not either of those. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And number five. Number five is to use life hacks. 
Okay, what's a life hack? A life hack is a life hack is a mechanical or electronic device that reminds you about something. Okay. okay, so here's an example. Here's the crudest example of something. I'm lying in bed at six o'clock this morning, aware that, aware that I have to get up at some point. Okay, and my alarm clock goes off and says, it is time to get up now. Right. Or, or I could just hit the snooze button and go back to the, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I have to make a conscious decision at that point. Is that making, making sense? Yeah, so it's like a trigger. It's like a trigger. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason we talk about life hacks so much is that when you're on the inside of desperately trying to do something, if you're inside writing a report or you're inside proofreading or you're inside some task, it's very difficult to maintain the objectivity to say, have I reached good enough or right. have I become inefficient? So a life hack is something that goes ping, check whether you are good enough. If yes, stop. If no, keep, keep going, obviously. Um, but it's a, it's a way of just reminding the, you that you've got to do it. So, for example, um, I know this afternoon I'm going to be starting to write some slides. And once I go down that rabbit hole, I will forget all about the rest of the world. And my diary is going to go ping, go to the gym. Just to remind me that I've got to get up and, and do some exercise. So, you know, this body was not born like this. Is, this body is a sculpture <laughs> masterpiece. From... You, you, you people listening can't see what God is on the other side of the camera. <laughs> you're, you're missing out. I'm sure you can go to Simon's website and see for yourself. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? There is a video on my website of me at the gym, and it's not a pretty sight. <laughs> Um, I, I took it after about 45 minutes exercise. So I'm in the vest that is sweaty and clingy. Don't, don't go there. Don't oh, go there. Go. It's, it's not so, pretty. So effectively, there, there is, I, I like that because there are things that can help you. There's also, you know, um, technical technology that can help you, you know, with distractions. So, so that, that's another sort of life hack when you say life hacks, those sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. So for example, um, get one of those apps that will stop your Facebook feed pinging at you for 45 minutes so you can concentrate. Because what that means is that your brain is now completely dedicated to the task and it is neither attracted by the pings or neither is it five percent of your brain dedicated to concentrating on not being attracted to the pings yeah i'm with you Absolutely. i'm with you brilliant okay cool and since this is a speaking club and you've also written presentation genius it would be mad of me not to get i'm going to go for your three top tips to top, be three. top three top yeah. three. Ooh. okay um i thought about this on the train yesterday and i've I've come up with a few that I don't think many people will have come up with because you can always give the bog standard one. So here are some that I hope people haven't thought of. The first one is to treat a presentation as a positive opportunity rather than a threat. Cool, like that. As soon as you start doing that, your entire mindset shifts and it shifts from how can I get away with doing as little, little as possible and not looking like an idiot to a, a possibility of going, what could I get out of this? What would the best look like? What, if I took these risks and things happened to go right, what could it, where could I go? It's a completely different, completely different mindset. Um, the second would be to know what success looks like and what your presentation is supposed to change. Yeah. Because all too many times people go on to make a business presentation and they're going, right, today I'm going to talk about the new legislation and sound sounds and I've, I've lost the will to live already. Right? Yeah, yeah. So success under those circumstances is not to talk about, it is to inform people so that they. 
Yes. See what I mean? So yes. in, in, you don't tell them about the new tax legislation. You tell them about the new tax legislation in a way that they can use it and do use it. So it's, it's knowing what success looks like in your, in your presentations. Cool. And the one that always takes people by surprise, and as soon as I say that it's blindingly obvious, don't just rehearse your presentation, rehearse your tech. Oh, I like that one. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's okay for me. I spent seven years as a theatre technician. I am used to fighting with things when they don't work, you know, because if maintenance is a real thing, as far as, as theatre technician. You know, have you come across a phrase, because if maintenance? Percussive maintenance, I yes, have. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to tell you what it means. Yeah, it means hit it till it works. <laughs> right, um, I'm with you. Okay. Um, but it, it's, it's things like there's, there's nothing undermines your credibility more than getting to the venue and going, oh, does anybody have a VGA adapter? Or where, where does this plug in? Or how do I get my laptop to talk to the projector? Yes. You know? yes. Um, so rehearse your tech re and just make sure, for example, simple things like have you got batteries in your flipping clicker? Um, have you turned off your Skype notifications? All those little technical things that people yes. forget about. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for those. And thank you for all of the productivity tips that you've shared as well. Now, I've got some standard questions for you. Go for it. What is the best thing speaking has done for you? I get an opportunity to learn from my clients. So, for example, one week I'll be working with internet security experts the next week, I'll be working with people who are researching the effects of global warming and sea level rises. The next week, I'll be working with some accountants. The next week, I'll be, you get the idea. Yes. Um, but it means I can learn from them. It's as, you know, it's, it's, I do send an invoice, but it is so much fun that I almost feel guilty sending an invoice. Excellent. I, um, I understand what you mean exactly. Cool. Now, what has been the worst gift for you? The one that you're like, oh, no. Is any one stick in your mind? Yes, and I have to be careful because I don't want to tell you who it is. It was for a national charity, um, and I made the mistake of thinking that what they said they wanted was what they wanted, oh, right. and that what they wanted was what they needed. So I blithely turned up and gave them what they said they wanted, and they hated me for it. Um, absolutely hated me for it because it was it was clearly not what they actually wanted but they didn't know that until after the event so can you tell what what do you mean by you so say you turned up to do things in a certain way and it wasn't or the content what was the it was the, it was the content it was the content they asked for stuff about dealing with nerves so I, you know, I used the tricks that professional presenters use to deal with nerves, and I gave them a presentation on dealing with nerves. What they actually wanted was something on confidence, which is yes. a more long-term thing. Yes. And had I thought about it for longer, I would have realized that that was what they needed, and I would have given them, I would have given them that. But I was young, I was stupid, I was arrogant. I also assumed that other people knew what they wanted, which is always a mistake <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as a being a speaker is concerned. Um, and it, wasn't what they, it wasn't what they wanted, so I didn't charge them for it. And we parted on you know, relatively good, good terms. And I came back and I, I did what they wanted, what they needed, sorry. I came back and did what they needed later on, and I did that, that bit for free. Brilliant. Because it was, it was, it was you know, yes it was their fault for not asking for what they wanted it was also my fault for not asking enough probing questions oh, there's a good lesson for us all there yeah. brilliant okay now what is the best book you've ever read 
business book or any book? Any book. Again. Any book. Yes, oh, any book. Why? Any book is June by Frank Herbert. That's that's an that's a no brainer. Anybody oh. who says anything different is wrong. They just haven't. They just <laughs> it's haven't read it. Based on fact, is it, Simon? <laughs> um, well, it's set in the year thirty something, so, so probably not. Um, in terms of of the books that I've read, I'm just looking. My, do you know what? I can't. I would struggle to. Yeah, no, I do know what it is. It's a book called Voice and the Actor um, by Sissy Berry. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, Why was that such a good book for you? Because it may it. it it made me realize that those things that I was struggling with as an actor, as a speaker, as a performer, as a communicator were different to the ones I thought they were. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and as soon as I let go of trying to do things on a technical level and trusted a little bit more instinctive stuff, the technical stuff started to come started to come with it um Excellent. it's it's easy to say that books are revolutionary and life-changing everybody pretends that every book they've ever written is read is revolutionary and life-changing i reckon i've read two books that have been revolutionary and life-changing and, and that's probably one of them and that was voice and the actor by who cicely berry cicely berry i shall yeah. put a link in the show notes to that okay cool and what's the best piece of advice you've ever had it was from my dad um it was, and it was something I've passed on to my kids, which apparently also, again, is irresponsible parenting, according to my <laughs> wife. Um, it was this, do the right thing always. Um, have fun whenever you can. Stay safe when it's convenient. Ooh, that's interesting. <laughs> have you followed that advice, Simon? Not always. Um, <laughs> Sometimes I've played it a little bit safe and I've regretted it. Um, I gave that advice to my kids and they went, yep, fine. Daddy says it's okay to take risks and they've just, you know, <laughs> um, they've wandered off, but they've turned out to be incredible people. So that's, so that's cool. Um, and I just, I just like the, I, I like the hierarchy of that. The absolute yeah. do the right thing. Yeah. They have fun whenever you can. Um, and the third, you know, the, the last thing is stay safe. Stay safe by all means, so long as it doesn't get in the way of the first two. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds yeah. like he was a wise man. He was. Well, I good. And then last question is, if you could have a mentor and they could be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Fictional. Well, you know, I said the best book I ever read was Frank Herbert's Dune. Yes. Um, it would be... Duke Leto Atreides from House Atreides in June. Wow. Because he was, he stood his ground, even though he knew it was going to cost him. He did the right thing all the time. But importantly, he raised astonishing children. Okay. Um, as a parent, he had it, he had it sussed. Excellent. So, and that was Duke, Duke, Duke Leto Atreides from the June sequence. Wow. Interesting. And anybody, anybody who's read that will go, yes, quite right. And anybody who's not read it will go, what a stuck-up, pretentious answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. See, I'll put a link to that book. You know, I guess these questions are all about discovering new things from other people, and that's a good one. I've not read it myself, so I will check it out. Uh, you've not you lived go. you have not lived <laughs> brilliant look well thank you for answering those and thank you again for all your tips now where can people if they want to work with you to either to learn from you or to have you as a speaker 
where's the best place for them to go? Okay, with the, the, the website that you need to go to is embarrassingly named. I didn't choose the name, my publishers did. Okay, so please don't blame me. Right. It is called presentationgenius.info. And everything springs from there. You can find, you know, there are links there to everything else. On YouTube, it's Presentation Genius Info. On Twitter, it's at Presentations. But everything starts from presentationgenius.info. And now I do want to say, because the AIR model is part of a book that's coming out. Yes, it is. It's and called. Do you, it a, do you have a date for when that book will be available? It's called. The book is called Coming Up for Air, and it is at the moment. Would you believe with the proofreaders? <laughs> <laughs> but they're going to take a long time just to spite you. <laughs> they are going to take a long time. I got an email from one of them the other day that said, "Proofing book, banging head on desk." Um, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> So, so you, you you haven't got a release date just yet. Or? I've got a, I've got a target release date, but I've learned better than to commit myself <laughs> to the things. Yes, sometime okay. this year. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, certainly, um, definitely. Uh, I think we're talking about uh, two months from now, rather than cool. than that. Yeah, so it should be fine. No problem. Brilliant. Well, I'll put a link to your website, but I will also update this podcast when the book is out and put a link to the book. So, cool. if you're listening to this in two thousand and 19 or even back end of 2018 it will be in the show notes otherwise you'll have to wait breathlessly for this book to come out in a very <laughs> short, short. I, I can't imagine anybody being breathless for a book can you well they'll need they'll need to get some more air won't they simon if they're yes. oh and that scores is the pun of the day yeah. indeed indeed well thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure are you on social media as well Yes, uh, Twitter is at presentations. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, so find me there. There are two Simon Raybolds on LinkedIn. The other one is a Canadian chef, so just make sure you're talking to the right one. Before. Excellent. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you again, and it's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to reading the book when it comes out. Absolutely my pleasure. Really enjoyed it, and thank you. Well, that was a blast. I picked up some really useful tips that I'm going to put into practice, into action, especially the one about planning your time to play to your strengths. I like that one. Um, I spent many an hour staring at the screen being unproductive because I had it in the calendar to do so. Anyway, good. Well, thank you so much for listening. Please leave a rating or review if you enjoyed the show and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the fun. Have a brill week and go out and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Hey, if you're listening to this show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires and converts. And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.